Welcome to episode 148 of the GSD Entrepreneur Podcast with your hosts, Jules and Statoya. Running a successful business never comes without its challenges, but it also includes a lot of highs. In this GSD Entrepreneur Podcast, we explore both. We dive into what it looks like when the entrepreneurs are committed to getting done. These are people who are pursuing their dreams, so we dig deep to understand how they are doing it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Our guest today, Diana Deaver, grew up in communist Romania and was a goat herder as a little girl. She moved out at 19, met a military husband online, and moved to Hendersonville, North Carolina. She later moved to Charleston, South Carolina, and tried her hand at working retail and different odd jobs. Leaning into her inner entrepreneurial spirit, she followed her passions of photography and people as she started her photography and videography businesses called Headshot Love, Deanna Deaver Weddings, and Third Wing Video, and became a sought-after emotional health coach with her business, Emotional Health Coaching. Deanna is an insightful, compassionate, intuitive, and deeply connected to the people in her world. Diana's formative years in a post-communist developing country offered her a personal understanding of the effects that abuse, fear, shame, and hunger can have on human dignity. It was an absolute delight to spend time with Diana, and we hope you enjoy getting to know her as much as we did. All right, GSD Entrepreneur listeners, we are excited to be in the studio again with you. We did take a sabbatical, uh, but we came back last week with really amazing guests. And now we are here again in the studio with someone who we are really excited to know. How did we meet this person, Statoya? Andrea Serrano. Andrea Serrano. Yes, yes. Shout out to you again, Miss Andrea Serrano, and being the connector that you are. In our studio today is obviously my lovely co-host, as always, Totoya. Hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> and then me, uh, Jules, your host. And then we have a woman named Diana Deaver. And Diana originally hails to us from the country of Romania, which is really cool. I can say that you are the very first person on our podcast since we've been doing it two and a half years who's from Romania. Yeah, so big shout out to Romania yeah, and all those. I represent the foreigners. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've had other foreigners, quote unquote, on the podcast, but no Romanians. So okay. big shout out to all you people in Romania listening to this podcast. We have one of your very own here in the studio with us, which is amazing. Um, so your name is spelled like uh, Diana, but you go by Diana because that's how it's pronounced in Romania, correct? Yes, correct. Okay. So, you wear a number of hats, and yes. I'll give the high, high level, but then I'm going to turn the mic over to you. And okay. So, you're a photographer, a videographer, and you're an emotional health coach. Yes. Which is really cool. Those seem like two different things, but I have a feeling that they kind of intersect a little bit. If um, you're open to it, for if, sure. If you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're open to see that's, the connection, for that's sure. That's awesome. Mm. That's such a great, like... Help life coach answer. <laughs> if you're open to it, it will come. But in photography, you do both commercial like headshots and family photos and that kind of thing. And then you do wedding portraits as well, correct? Yes. Okay. So with that background and the listeners sort of knowing a little bit about you, let's turn the mic over to you. And I would say, just take us back. This is what we do on every episode. And this podcast is wholly 
to give people a platform to use their voice and tell their story. Mm -hmm. And so what we want to do is we just want to walk through your story with you. And then the listeners, it's been really interesting how different stories they connect with in different ways because it reminds them of something that they've either been through or going through or whatever. So I will say, let's do that. Let's, if you're ready for it, let's turn the mic over to you and just take us back. How far back? I go go, uh, go as far back to as Romania. you want, and yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay. So, almost 40 years ago, my parents had sex, and just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> far enough, that's good. <laughs> almost 40 years ago, so somebody has a birthday coming up. Well, yes, well, counting the nine months. Oh, counting the nine months, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so... Well, I guess the most relevant part starts at 19 for me because that's mm -hmm. when I decided to escape the rule of my parents and leave my parents' house. And I became kind of independent and adult and all of that. Um, even though growing up in Romania, let me tell you a little bit about Romania. It's a developing country. Mm -hmm. It was under communism when I was born and it was under communist rule until I was nine years old. So... Mm. I got to experience dictatorship, which I think, and poverty, which I think gave me an incredible advantage for living in the United States, because I got to see what um, what a, what lack of freedom looks like, mm -hmm. and wow. also lack of resources looks like, and then come here hmm. to the United States, and then just kind of, and we'll get into that as I get closer to to the time that I've been around in the United States. Can I, when we'll do this yeah. throughout the podcast, just kind of stop you and mm -hmm. kindly interrupt you. But so, what does dictatorship look like? What what does it look like yeah. to live under that and to not feel free? Um, fear is the biggest thing really? that comes up for me because you're not allowed to say anything bad about the ruler of the country. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the biggest thing that I remember as, as a child. Um, and you felt that as a child? I did. My parents would wow. whisper if they were complaining or saying anything, would whisper in the kitchen. And one time I remember, you know, you, we always remember the traumas of childhood, but I was slapped by my mom uh, because I said something about the ruler that I had heard them say. <laughs> you know, kids repeat everything mm -hmm. adults say. Wow. But... Uh, I did not understand as a child, you do not say that in front of your neighbor mm. because your neighbor could be working for the mil militia. It's what yeah. it was called, like mil militia. The, yeah. The, um, so you can't trust anybody. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you got it. And that's that's kind of formed a little bit of my attitude here of being incredibly direct and incredibly honest, which doesn't always <laughs> fall right in the South. Mm -hmm. um, but... Uh, That's so was... necessary. Oh my gosh. You know, I mean, just yeah. the, the forthrightness mm -hmm. um, is refreshing on a mm -hmm. lot of ways. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know you, we're getting to know you, but yeah. I would imagine that for a lot of people that is refreshing here because you don't always get that. For some it's refreshing, for some it's intimidating. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the two camps. And usually my friends are at first intimidated and then they realize they what I say is what I believe. They mm -hmm. don't have to worry about that. And then they're like, oh, I really like her because I can trust what she's going to say. Mm. She's not faking. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's one thing about dictatorship. And the other thing is um, everything is controlled, including what you watch. So you don't get television unless it is about the extraordinary ruler. 
any book you buy has a photo of the dictator in the front and like a full page bio about how amazing it is. Every single book in the library, every single manual you study at school has a photo of him wow. in the front. Um, this was growing up. Is it yes. like that now? No, no, okay. no, no. So communism fell in 1989 when mm -hmm. I was nine years old. Mm. That's when we had a revolution mm. and people were shot and the, the system was overthrown and the dictator was killed. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And like that, it was overthrown because he was gone. It was actually, so communism in Europe was, was spread over several uh, countries. It was the USSR, if you remember. Mm -hmm. And that's when it fell through, you know, it had a sweep over Europe. So uh, several countries that were under communism, the regime was overthrown yeah. across Europe. So it wasn't mm -hmm. just Romania. It was yeah. a big, big year. And, and freedom mm -hmm. came over a large part of, of Europe. And yeah. Well, it was like the shackles were released. Yes. Yeah. 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 You know, it's funny. I, I had to, um, Jules and I went over to China about three weeks ago or a month ago, and then I had to go back over by myself. And um, I mean, I had a translator with me, so I didn't have to try to find my way through. But um, like the TVs are still censored over there, and like I was trying to do something on the internet, and I couldn't get on the internet um, something I was looking up, but it would not let me because they still censor everything, a lot of places over there. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, that it's gotten better, mm -hmm. they say, but it's they're still under, mm -hmm. under that yeah. kind of communist dictatorship rule over there. And they, like, you didn't see any kind of um, news from America. Like, they, it was... Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Hmm. It's, it blows my mind mm -hmm. yeah. that that still exists in the world today. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Wow, interesting. So mm -hmm. you've, I mean, you've already taught us a lot. So, okay, so you grew up and it changed when you were nine. Yep. Which was amazing. And then how did that affect your family, that change? Did you, I mean, like, do you still feel like you're affected by living in that fear? Or do you feel like that really has kind of gone away? And your parents, if they're still alive, are they still under that or no? I think the whole country is still trying to overcome the mental Recover. dictatorship. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think it takes generations. Mm. The fact that I'm, you know, I'm still alive and I lived in it. That means somehow it's still yeah. viscerally in our bodies and right. in our minds. Um, but also, freedom has come through. So mm -hmm. when you when you eliminate something, something else that that void is filled with something else. So now we have both. Mm. So sometimes there is certain internal struggle between the dictator part of us and mm -hmm. the freedom loving part of us. And, and so dictatorship comes with over vigilance. Who can I trust? I can't trust anybody. What am I saying? You know, and then freedom comes with, well, I don't care because yeah. I can handle every, mm -hmm. anything. So yeah, there is definitely still a part of that. I think both in myself and in my family and in, in my home hmm. country. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So walk us through. So how, so you, so you were in Romania until when? I mean, give us kind of a... I was 21 when I left Romania. 21. So yeah. you went through high school and... Yep, high school. Yeah. Uh, and a few years of college. I studied psychology there. Okay. And then, so at 19, I left my parents' house and moved to Bucharest, the capital. Mm -hmm. And young and powerful and, and 
living in a free world in a yeah. democracy for the you know you for could do whatever you wanted exactly mm-hmm. so I was defiant didn't know what my parents the rule was like as long as you're in our house you do what we say so I was like okay I'm out <laughs> so how far did you move away from them um so I would travel by train and it would be three to four hours okay yeah so far enough they couldn't come and visit without letting you know and yes yes and and then phones and things mm-hmm. would be harder anyway, but they, they couldn't. So, um, And then I started living in Bucharest. I had a roommate and I started working online a lot. And I met my ex-husband online. He was hmm. military. And he came to Romania to meet me. And we fell in love. And we married there, my entire family and all my aunts and uncles and the whole clan came to the wedding. And then I moved to the United States with my ex-husband. Wow. Yeah. When you were 21. When I was 21 years, mm-hmm. years old. Yeah. And I left everything I knew behind and, and left. What did your parents think about that? Um, well, it depends. <laughs> what did they think <laughs> then or what do they think now? My, my father still regrets letting me go. He, he does. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I never went back. And so he, he, he thinks he, sh- he should have prevented me and, and kept me there and you know he knows what it's like to be in another country mm. and so uh, then they were hoping for a better future f- mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. uh, a post-communist developing country economy was difficult uh, there was poverty so wait there's a promise of going to a more developed country mm-hmm. where freedom means also opportunity um, and you're going with a husband who adores you and, mm-hmm. you know, you're happy, go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can't hold you back. That's what they thought then. Mm-hmm. And like I said, since then, they miss me a lot and yeah, they wish they had me in their backyard. And yeah. so How often do you get, get back over to visit? I see them about every year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And siblings? I have a sister. She's three years younger and she ended up in Germany. Okay. Yeah. Wow, you guys are spread out. I know. Goodness. I know. Yeah. Um, so was it scary to move from Romania to not knowing anyone or anything or did you know English? I did know English. That's what I studied in high school. Okay. So you can in, in Romania in high school you select a topic um, of study mm-hmm. and English was my major okay. in high school. And I've always loved English. I I would watch movies without having to read the translation, mm-hmm. the subtitles. And so, um, yeah, when I, I wasn't afraid, mm-hmm. I was more excited than anything. It was kind of like, oh, a discovery, a new world. Let mm-hmm. me see, you know, I look forward to seeing what America is all about. I've mm-hmm. seen all the skyscrapers in the movies and mm-hmm. the police chases and Terminator. <laughs> I want to go to this. I want to see what this is all about. <laughs> and my ex-husband lived in Hendersonville. So, oh, okay. <laughs> right in the mountains. Yep. So he takes me to Hendersonville, and I'm like, what? Where are the skyscrapers? Where are the police chase cars? So you thought all of America was like that? I thought all of America was like that. Yeah. Yes, and I I wanted beggars on the street and all, you know, gangs and things. Yeah, all stuff from the movies. (laughs) And uh, Hendersonville at 21 is a little bit of a culture shock. Yeah, that's a little sleepy town. Yeah. (laughs) So we only stayed there for six months. Okay. And, and but we didn't want to leave too too far away from his parents. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, <clears throat> let's let's find a livelier city 
but in driving distance. So we visited DC and Charleston, mm -hmm. and those were the two options. And I was a little bit afraid of all the political, you know, soon after 9-11. So I was like, mm, I don't know, we have like ocean over here, DC over here. I'm like, ocean, it's, let's let's yeah. do Charleston. Mm -hmm. So we moved to Charleston and we So he was house. already out of the military? He uh, actually retired while we were um, married. Oh, okay. Yeah, he went through the whole retirement process, okay. yeah. He was uh, honorably discharged. Mm. Yeah. Um, about two and a half years into our marriage, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm. And that was part of the discharge and some of the symptoms that he was having. Mm. And uh, soon after that, we got a divorce. Mm. Wow. You've had a lot of a lot of change in your life. Yep. A lot of newness. <laughs> so what year was what, what did you all get divorced? When, how long 2005. Was that? 2005. Yeah. So... Wow, fifteen years ago. Yeah. And so you're still you're, but you're moving. You have lived here in Charleston. Yeah, I never. I, I stayed. I yeah. Stayed, yeah. Did he go back to Hendersonville? Um, no. I I'm not sure where he lives right now. We are not in touch. Mm. Um, I think he may have moved to Iowa. His mother was from Iowa mm -hmm. for a while, but I'm not sure exactly where mm -hmm. he lives right now. Yeah. yeah. But he got you to Charleston. We moved to Charleston together, and we we had bought a house together. We were living in it yeah. when he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. wow. All right. So <laughs> here you are. Are you working when y'all moved here? Did you? Oh, absolutely. You the, were the whole time. Okay. In Hendersonville, I was working at Dillard's. That was my first job in the shoe department. It's yeah. A fantastic job. Mm -hmm. First job. There were a lot of words I did not know. Mm -hmm. Like snug. Snug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I remember I remember having clients at Dillard's and they were trying shoes on and, and they said, and I asked, how was that one? And they said, well, it's a little snug and I had no idea <laughs> what that meant. So I, and I figured out it's either tight or it's loose. So I'm just going to say, should I bring you a tighter one? And this person looks very <laughs> confused at me. A tighter like, one? No, no. I said, it's snug. Oh, got it. Larger size coming up. <laughs> I didn't want to admit That's pretty I didn't good, though, like the process of elimination. I um, so, okay, so Dillard's, and then you end up moving to Charleston, and you just kind of mm -hmm. keep working for yep. different companies. Yeah, Chico's, uh, mm -hmm. also retail then. We would make the deposits of Bank of America, and I was like, oh, I want to work in a bank. I want to know about money. I want to be financially wise. And, hmm. you know, so I was a teller at Bank of America, and then working as a teller, I realized that without a college degree, my opportunities would be limited. So I'm like, okay, let's go to college in the United States. So wow. then I started part-time jobbing. Um, I was a hostess for a while at a restaurant, then also retail, and then um, went to Trident for a while, and then College of Charleston. And while I was at College of Charleston studi uh, studying studio art, I started my business. So I quit. I was working uh, part-time as a office manager in a real estate business and my hobby was photography so I, was, I loved I'm very visual visual mm -hmm. art is my passion has always been I used to paint when I was a child in Romania so I um, I started taking photos and I started selling them you know once you sell the first print it's like mm -hmm. you're in business yeah so well, you get bit by the bug oh of, yeah wow oh, yeah. if I could sell one yeah. I could probably sell more and, exactly yeah. And mm -hmm. I loved working with people. I love, love, love working with people. And so 
portraits some friends knew I did photography somebody asked me to do their wedding and so before I know I'm part-time photographer part-time office manager mm. and it was the 2008-ish area oh, yeah. and, I, and so like, I'm just I wasn't really working for the money that I was paid and you know how that feels mm -hmm. when you're being paid but you're not really earning it so I was like, if I just do this photography, if I do this much more a month, I could pay my rent. Mm -hmm. So I bit the bullet and I just like, I've walked, my boss is an amazing person who I'm still close friends with. Mm. He's a mentor in a way, an incredible person. So I walk into his office, petrified mm. of having the talk with him, letting him know I'm walking away from this beautiful job he's been trying to keep me in. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know, I've, I love my photography. I'm going to give it a try. It's my passion. I'm a little bit scared, but I'm going for it. And he goes, Whew. oh my gosh, I've been trying to find a way to let you know that I can't afford to keep you anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, See? that is that's awesome. Crazy. So that synchronicity kind of affirmed uh -huh. that that path was approved by the higher forces that be. Yeah. And then so you're going to have a life raft if you jump off the ship. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so 2008, I started my business in photography, and I have been uh, self-employed ever since. Mm. Yeah. So your photography business is called both Headshot Love mm -hmm. and Deanna Deaver Photography. Deanna Deaver Weddings. Deanna Deaver Weddings. Yeah, okay. so um, there's two different websites. I think people who want to see photographs wedding photography they don't want to see headshots mm -hmm. and so I learned this early on as I was studying being a photographer and so I separated the two and I was like okay portraits family headshots businesses mm -hmm. on one side weddings on one side mm -hmm. let's let's make it simple for them to not have to so ever since then it's been separated yeah and, mm -hmm. and it's easier for my clients mm -hmm. So where do you get most of uh, your clients? Is it through the portrait side or wedding side? I used to have, I used to shoot a lot of weddings, 34 weddings mm. a year. And I, um, it was physically incredibly demanding. Mm -hmm. So I decided I only do 12 weddings a year now mm. as a self-imposed, you know, part of the entrepreneurial journey. So one journey. a month. Is it yes. kind of one a month? Yes. Okay. Yes. And then, um, Portraits and headshots and working with individual um, subjects is the main, mm -hmm. the main of my photography right now. You have a studio? I do. Is it in, a, in your home or you have a... It's a on James Island. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's in a commercial rented space. Yeah, that's, yeah. okay. Do you prefer one or the other? I mean, is, is one more fun to shoot? Like family photos or mm. individuals? or I mean, is there a connection that you make with some that you don't feel as much with other? It's different, hmm. but not better. Mm -hmm. Very different. So wedding day is pure joy. It's, mm -hmm. it's incredible to be around people who are celebrating love mm -hmm. for eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of running around, and sometimes it's a little bit of stress, but that emotion that that bride feels before she walks down the aisle, that moment is worth everything. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Seeing someone cry because the wedding vows they just heard are being touched. Mm -hmm. are touching their heart is just I would it's incomparable to witness so much love yeah. and so much mm -hmm. joy I've photographed over 300 weddings wow. so I feel like they're like impacting my body when yeah. I'm there I'm soaked with love when <sighs> I go photograph a wedding mm -hmm. that's that's amazing although I will say I catered a wedding and it was um, the cake cutting 
Mm-hmm. And the bride and the groom come over to each other and they both have a piece of cake. And the groom, they're on the middle of the dance floor in front of everybody. The groom takes the cake, shoves it all <laughs> in the bride's face, walks away from her, beats his chest and said, who's your daddy? <laughs> I was like, oh man, that wedding is not going to last. Yeah, that marriage is not going to last. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that marriage is not going to last. I was like, what in the world? Who's your daddy? <laughs> Clearly not you. <laughs> my daddy wouldn't have done that <laughs> anyway but most weddings I totally agree that love and being able to shoot mm-hmm. that is is just surreal because everybody's celebrating right. so yeah. yeah that's amazing there's an energy unique to it and I mm-hmm. I don't want to portray that all weddings are like that there are some that are stressful and for sure where, where yeah. love isn't the yeah. main thing but right. doing achieving let's do the next thing scheduling keeping mm-hmm. on track is the main thing but they're more rare. But most. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. For sure. Um, and then portraits are incredible for me. And it, a lot of my coaching happens during hmm. portraits. Mm. Even though many people who I shoot the headshots of don't know I do emotional health coaching. Uh, there is a fear and a nakedness and a vulnerability in front of a camera mm-hmm. that every person faces and mm-hmm. talking someone through that process and allowing them to see their own beauty. I love to, to snap one photo and then stop and show it to my client mm. so that they know what I'm seeing. Yeah. They know what the lighting looks like. They know, you know, is it just my head? Is it my shoulders in as well? Is it my hands? It really helps to do that. And to see someone come in and, you know, I, I joke, welcome to your torture room, because a lot of people have this attitude towards having their photo taken. Oh, yeah. And they're shy and not feeling nervous. And to end the photo shoot with them laughing, that is something that I absolutely adore. Mm-hmm. And I, my, my biggest pride is when my client tells me I had a hard time picking my favorite because there were so many. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's the goal I go for. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I've done my job well, if that's your problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my um, <clears throat> my mom was a professional photographer, so we always had cameras in our face. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I cannot <laughs> stand to have my my picture taken. I'm so sorry. And, and, I apologize. No, <laughs> it is um, because I'm not good at it. You know, it's like they they the um, models they say if it feels good, you're you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Like it has like mm-hmm. you have to do something. And I still after and I'm about to be 48 years old. I still don't know how to hold my head where I don't look like I have a double chin. And, oh. <laughs> and so, but my mom, we always had cameras in our face. Mm-hmm. But that's what, that was her job. That was what she did. Mm-hmm. She was, that was her passion. So, I mean, I'm glad now we just have photo albums like stacked to the ceiling of, oh, of all these. Oh yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, wow. she was always a photographer wherever mm-hmm. we went. She was, so, I mean, it is, and, and it's, an, it's an art. I mean, we used to have a dark room in our house. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to, I learned how to process film. And um, and so I caught that bug when I was, like, in high school and mm-hmm. college, and I was the photographer um, for a yearbook and, and stuff. So, I mean, it was, I like being behind the camera, though, mm-hmm. um, and not in front of it. Mm-hmm. But always growing up, that we always had it right there in our face, which was fine. I mean, it was, it was great now that we can look back and... <laughs> Yeah. So how did you how did you get involved in emotional health coaching? Yeah. When did that start and why and I think it started when I was born. I went in 
grammar school we had to fill out this thing of what we hope to be and I wrote psychologist on it and I study psychology in Romania so it's always called to me that deeper side of life hmm. and trying to understand underneath the surface and uh, I've always been afraid of it I consider it a very high responsibility hmm. to be with people in that space and to that very intimate part of their soul and so it's I've been scared of it and then I dated someone who was a life coach and and I got to witness his life and he, it was working with people eight hours a day mm -hmm. and I just was so one day I, I just I, was, I think you have the most wonderful life and I am so jealous and I cannot I'm just so amazed of how cool this is that you get to do this every day for eight hours a day and he did this thing <laughs> that changed my life kind of casually walking away said well, how much longer are you going to wait to make your life dream come true? Hmm. That's all he asked. <laughs> and I st stopped me. That question stopped me in my tracks. Hmm. And I said, now one more moment. And I, I had done a coaching class by this point. And I have been working with a teacher for 10 years, one-on-one -on -one, as a student. And so I went to the website, purchased a domain, started a website, and began my practice hmm. after that moment yeah so I said yes so finally five what years is, ago what is that so we're we're business coaches yeah um, and so there's a lot of different coaches and sure. different arenas of coaching so what is a uh, an emotional health coach do I mean what is I mean obviously you're focused yeah. on emotional health which I do find it it very ironic that you married someone with schizophrenia I do too. Now uh, looking yeah, back, looking back, yeah, I, yeah. Um, even though schizophrenia is not uh, an illness of the heart, right? As an, it's not an emotional illness. It's a mental. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a thought process illness. Um, my work is with emotions. Mm -hmm. So we all have emotions that we don't know how to relate with in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. So depression will zap us of energy. Anger will be destroying our relationships. Um, anxiety will consume our mental em em emotional stamina. So I take these emotions that are challenging, that are draining, that are taking away the zest of life, and I work with clients to turn them into being supportive emotions. So how can I use my anxiety to help me? What it, why is anxiety visiting me? What is it here to bring me to my life? So I change this mm. dynamic of using emotion to be drained and, and taken away from and to make them supportive and, and beneficial. Mm -hmm. And that's what emotional health is, is mm -hmm. from making this unhealthy. My relationship with anger is unhealthy. How can I make my relationship with anger work for me? Mm -hmm. How can I use the energy that anger brings into my life in a positive way? And so that's what emotional health does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you believe um, all of those things are brought to us for our good? I mean, for as part of our journey? I think any time an emotion arises is to help us become mm -hmm. more whole. Okay. So I'm currently in a PhD program at Pacifica, a mm -hmm. graduate institute studying uh, the work of Carl Jung in mm -hmm. archetypes. So mm -hmm. uh, it's a depth psychology program. 
So Deb Psychology believes that uh, the unconscious part of the psyche is just as important as the conscious part of the psyche and that you cannot study one without the other. So you have to take into consideration the unconscious or what some people call subconscious. Um, Deb Psychologists call it unconscious. And so an emotion arises organically, right? Mm -hmm. You can't command your heart to love someone or to stop loving someone. Mm -hmm. You cannot command your heart to now get angry, now stop getting angry. Mm -hmm. Right? It emerges through us, comes organically. That It comes from that unconscious part of us. And the unconscious is saying, usually when it intervenes that way, you're too one-sided. Hmm. See, the conscious can be very, it can become very determined, very focused, very one-sided. No, it's like this and I know it. The unconscious is like, Meh. no, you don't know it. There's some things you're overlooking and you're too rigid. And I need to interrupt that somehow. And you're not listening to the softer signs. So I got to get more aggressive. Hmm. And so that's what I believe emotions represent. They are usually attached to an instinct mm -hmm. or an archetype, which is a pattern of behavior that, that has existed before we have. Mm -hmm. Oh, don't get me into this. I'm <laughs> I'm, I get excited. No, I, love, I, I, I think it's so fascinating because, I mean, talking to someone like yourself, who in many ways is an expert because you've dedicated your life to the study of it. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, it's easy to hear people say, well, that's just how I am. Mm. That's just, you know, and mm -hmm. it, I, mm -hmm. you know, I, if, if it's something that's kind of negative and other people perceive it as negative, well, that's just how I am. Mm. Um, but I don't believe that. I believe that we can mm -hmm. change mm. and you don't, you don't have to be defined by something negative mm. like that. You know, so mm. to listen to you talk about the subconscious mm -hmm. and the conscious, um, the, it's almost like sometimes they're in war with each other. I mean, of what they can see, what can be seen mm -hmm. and what can't be seen. They're in war if we want them to be in war, mm -hmm. if, if that's how we are. But to me... If that's yeah, how you perceive it, right? Yes. It's how you react to your emotions. I have to change many times with my clients. I have to work at that basic level of how do I receive my anger? Do I resist it? Do I want to hide it? Do I want to put it in the closet? This is not acceptable. Sadness is not acceptable. Anger mm. is not acceptable. We have seen what, you know, women are called if they are to experience any anger. Mm -hmm. So the first change is our attitude towards what wants to come through us as opposed to label it, judge it, shove it, hide it, to be at least curious. Why are you visiting me? Hmm. What are you here to teach me? So if I can change that, just a little bit of openness, it takes a lot sometimes to convince someone that depression is not necessarily something that is there to take away from them. I'm processing. I'm taking mm -hmm. it outside now. <laughs> I'm processing. I mean, and, so I'm going to go back to Jules' comment, you know, like, so there's the, the nature nurture, you have your unconscious, you have your conscious, you have a, there's a, there's a ton that goes into our makeup mm -hmm. as a 48 year old woman, how I react to things. Mm -hmm. Um, it is hard to change. It is hard mm -hmm. to know why I'm having these emotions, mm -hmm. why I'm having this anxiety or I'm having this anger. Mm -hmm. um, because of some outside forces and, mm -hmm. and what to do with it. So I think that it is a process and I don't know that, that there's, there's a, always the perfect way to do it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if there's always the correct way to, do, I mean, mm -hmm. how you react to something 
is completely different than how I react to something, but I think there it goes with who we are as humans. We're mm-hmm. not I don't think there's a, a written prescription on how we all will re- need to act or react to mm-hmm. every situation. Mm-hmm. Thank God for that. I know. Yeah. And so and so, you know, and we've had this conversation before is is, you know, she, and she says that to me, she's like, Why are you how do you why are you reacting that way? Mm-hmm. Because she reacts completely different to the mm-hmm. exact same situation. Mm-hmm. I think it just is the way it's our, our it's mm-hmm. not our nurture, it's our nature. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. how we were raised in the mm-hmm. environments we were raised in kind of draws into that path of, of how we mm-hmm. react to things. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that we can't change. I, I think it, it takes a lot of deep, hard work. It does take a lot of work, and you have to be committed to it, mm-hmm. right? So the people that you see, the ones that are your clients, is it more like, and, and I use this word, but I use it really loosely, uh, more extreme anxiety, sort of extreme mm-hmm. depression? I mean, is it, and I don't really mean extreme. I mean, like I could probably look at that person and go, they, they have an issue with anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Or whatever. I mean, what would, okay, let, me, let me ask it a different <laughs> way. What would bring somebody to come see you? Mm-hmm. It's usually emotional pain of some sort. Mm-hmm. So like the death of a loved one. They mm-hmm. don't know how to deal with grief. I mean, is that maybe? Or the way that they're dealing with the grief is so overwhelming or impacting their quality of their life. They can't figure out a way through it. Mm. And so usually someone who comes to see me has either read a book or looked at, at googled something online or has tried in some way to cope with it themselves or to self-medicate and mm-hmm. it's not working mm-hmm. so it there's most people who come to me have had that hum- humbling moment and that self-honesty that says i am not equipped mm-hmm. to handle this completely alone and i am willing to allow myself to be supported through mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. Just that admission is so beautiful, yeah. isn't it? I mean, self honesty is the most powerful tool in emotional health. Mm-hmm. The willingness to be honest and truthful about where we really are. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And can you see it when people are there? Well, is it sort it's, of palpable? It's almost for never you? completely. Uh-huh. That we, I believe, we have different parts of us that show up in a session and every moment. Mm-hmm. And so maybe 80% wants this help, mm-hmm. is willing to accept it, being supported, being um, encouraged to look within, being taught new tools. But there's the 20% <laughs> that doesn't. And who is this? And why should I do it? And no, and this is hard. And, and we, we must be willing to allow that 20% to come on board and have mm. a seat for it in the session as well mm-hmm. and give it a name maybe. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is my, my uh, difficult part of me. And, and she's come to the session. We're not going to kick it out of the door, pretend it's not there. Okay, the resistance is here. It's okay. We can mm. move forward with it. Right? Yeah. It doesn't well, have to rule the show. That's, yeah. that's but, so you say, but you say, because uh, you're talking about one person and you have your 80% that shows up and the 20 <laughs> the it, finite Yeah, it's side. just an example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you see that in groups. And mm. so in, even in yeah. group therapies in, mm. or AA groups or NA groups, you're going to have right. the people that are forced to come right. oh. um, either by law or by family mm-hmm. to these meetings, and they don't want to be there. They don't want to admit 
-hmm. they they need the help but then you have those other ones while these other ones are doing the work they and then this this uh, tw- other 20 percent is looking and says i want what they have right. and eventually they collapse into it yeah you, know, <laughs> you know eventually it's like i want that so much right. i'm willing to put in the hard work but i mean i think you have to have that you have to have opposing forces and, and i think it's just a part of who we are because i think opposing forces makes us stronger absolutely and it shows the people that are doing the work yeah. that they don't want to go back to this. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, when these people come over, they're like, yes, come over and, mm-hmm. and be and join us. So. Carl Jung believed that that is the whole purpose of our life on this planet is to learn how to hold that tension between the opposites mm-hmm. and not be exclusive of one or the other to say I only want to be light I'm not willing to have any shadow mm-hmm. right that's extreme that's one-sided that's mm-hmm. when the unconscious is going to be like oh let me introduce you to your shadow my friend mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. it, that's how it works so that holding that tension of the opposites being able to be yin and yang being able to be shadow and light being able to be kind and angry but that's actually wholeness yes yeah and we huh don't want to walk around like as partial humans mm-hmm. we feel better when we're whole yeah. we feel more aligned mm-hmm. with life with our partnerships with our businesses when we're not functioning as only the 70 percent that was willing to show up mm-hmm. and so part of my job is to teach people to allow the part that is unhappy and resistant and grumpy and defiant to be there but not rule the show See, sometimes when we deny that there's a part of us that doesn't want this, Hmm. it ends up ruling the show three years later. Mm -hmm. It happens in marriages and it happens in businesses as well. Because I ignored that 30% that told me I don't want this. Hmm. And now it's acting up. Right? It's it's built pressure. (laughs) So interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, So I'm intrigued by how your background in Romania mm-hmm. and the culture that you grew up in of oppression mm-hmm. um, and no freedom mm-hmm. and all of that, how now your life's work is in two ways capturing people's freedom. So in mm-hmm. photography, mm-hmm. right, capturing people in their, mm-hmm. in their moments and then emotional healing is kind of inviting people in to... Mm-hmm the wholeness of who they are. Mm-hmm. I just think that's really fascinating how the the hardship of that is informing mm-hmm. your current day today. Do you agree with that? I don't want to make an assumption about you. Absolutely. I always, I keep, the more I advance in this journey, the more I, it makes sense how I was set up. Mm-hmm. I was set up for this path and how it, it all mm. kind of lines up and it all makes sense. But, you know, it takes 40 years to see why that, mm-hmm. that one experience back there in Romania is lining up with what you know and what you do now. Right. Right. And, and some are still confusing. Like mm-hmm. you mentioned, you know, my ex-husband being diagnosed with schizophrenia. And now I'm like Carl Jung is the first studying Carl Jung. He, he, he's the first to really study schizophrenia. And when I saw his work on that, I was blown away. I was like, wow, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. about that and so I, I'm still finding out exactly what the gift in that was for me mm-hmm. yeah and I wonder if you may never find it but it right. shaped you Absolutely. in such a way to prepare you for the things that are ahead and right. I've um Stace is reading it now but I read uh, two books really quickly The Traveler's Gift and The Traveler's Summit 
And in one of them, I can't remember which one it was, but they said, you will not die until your purpose on this earth is fulfilled. So all of us have a mm -hmm. purpose, a mm -hmm. grand purpose. Mm -hmm. um, we're not just here for no reason. Right. But there is literally hedges of protection around you that you will not die until your purpose is fulfilled. And the freedom that that brought to me, where I just, because sometimes I can get anxious about, oh, am I going to get in a car wreck? Or when I get mm -hmm. in the plane, am I going to, is it going to mm -hmm. crash? Um, or whatever, but I just think it's really interesting that we're all on a journey of a purpose, and mm -hmm. yours, I mean, how you say I can look back mm -hmm. and see the pathway that, mm -hmm. you know, I've been taking, how it all feeds into each other. Um, I just think life, life is so fascinating, mm -hmm. and I love that you're in a position of healing because you've healed, mm. right? So the wounded healer, that concept of, yes. um, is such a powerful one mm -hmm. of people who have been wounded in their mm -hmm. lives often if they do the work mm -hmm. like Stace and I have talked about a lot they become mm -hmm. the healers but mm -hmm. it's from their wounds yeah one of the biggest concepts that uh, I work with today that uh, is very much like dictatorship is what I called internalized oppression hmm. so I'm gonna use because I'm a woman <laughs> I will use myself as the example how um, you know take the history of women and how they were treated I think the last woman was sold at a market in 1927 in England or something like that. Hmm. So it, the way that we have been treated specifically by the masculine is very fresh and it is in, in our bodies and in our mindsets. And so sometimes we internalize this, these messages, you know, and I heard you on your podcast previously kind of being faced with this idea that because you're women, you might not understand manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And so this is a, a, an oppression. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you who you are and how you're falling short mm -hmm. because of who you are, because of the label that's been applied to you. So this message repeated many times becomes my own message, hmm. becomes something that I hear in my voice. They say that the, the things that a parent says to their child becomes their things they say to themselves as an adult. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with society as well. You know, if I've been told that my blue eyes are in deficient in some sort, then I will internalize that and always question, always, you know. And so it can become oppressive from within. So overthrowing the system, the dictatorship, is part of my work with people. When we've been oppressed from within, when we have this internalized oppression, there's always anger. And, and people, usually a lot of women, judge themselves for being angry. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you don't understand. Anger is the most powerful force to overthrow a system that is oppressing you. Hmm. So when anger comes up in you, what is oppressing you from within? What is waiting to be overthrown? Hmm. Why is your unconscious sending this to you? And it's really important to realize that the oppressor is not outside. Mm. It's not the man's fault. Mm. It's the man from within that I'm allowing mm -hmm. to control me that I need to overthrow. And so that's the wow. biggest similarity between communism yeah. and, and internal oppression that I've been able to, to really identify. I'm like, wow. I grew up in communism and now I teach people how to overthrow their own dictatorship, mm -hmm. which <laughs> yeah. is which yeah. is really crazy. So, besides coming to see you, mm -hmm. and I know you, you, there's no way you can begin to answer this in the few minutes that we have left. 
But how does somebody begin to overthrow that mm. when it's such a ingrained, mm -hmm. you've been told it all your life, now you believe it and you say it to yourself now for, the, for mm -hmm. all of your life. How do you begin to give that permission to be overthrown? Mm -hmm. I think the first, and the first requirement is curiosity. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have all the answers, but a little bit of openness. The psyche and the unconscious is so willing to guide you. It is mm -hmm. unbelievable how easy it is, how willing it is to become available for conversation. So, okay, let's say my symptom is anger. Right? I, am, mm -hmm. I have a lot of anger as a woman, and I don't know why, and sometimes I blow out at work or on my kids or... It just feels bad and I feel ashamed about myself because I'm called a bitch and, you know, mm -hmm. because I'm angry all the time. Okay, so let's take the labels off for a second. Mm -hmm. Now we have stopped the judging and we invite curiosity. When do you ang get angry the most? What has just been said to you? What did you do that week? How much time did you give yourself? Where is the oppression? Hmm. First, let's find out... You know, the symptom will always tell you. And you can ask the emotion that's challenging. Anger, anxiety, depression. Go into the body and simply ask this question. First, welcome it. And say, hello, sadness. I see that you have come. I am willing to be open to you. I want to understand you. I don't necessarily want to get rid of you. Have a seat. I see that you're here. I want to tell you what it feels like for me to have you in my life. Oh, wow. That's powerful. <laughs> I mean, I feel like emotion around that. Mm. That's really interesting. So when you visit me, mm. sadness, I feel drained of energy. I feel worried for my well-being. I'm concerned that I might be suicidal. I'm worried for the people around me. So sometimes it's hard to have you so often in my life. But I know you're here for a reason, and I want to understand. Can you tell me a little bit more about you? What brings you to me? What are you here to teach me? And there's just this openness, just this curiosity. This, the psychic is very, very conversational, very mm -hmm. open to a relationship. Mm -hmm. And be like, oh, wow, now you like me. You're not going to medicate me this time? <laughs> it might be like this the first mm -hmm. time, especially if we've had a hostile relationship. And we can say, yes, I have medicated you. I'm, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I have told you you are unacceptable. Part of me that wants to visit me. I'm changing that. Will you be friendly to me? Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. And there's, you know, the conversation develops. And sometimes, you know, I do this with the inner child. Mm -hmm. The inner child is the most vulnerable part of us. Yep. And I will facilitate conversations between my clients and their inner child. And sometimes the child doesn't want to talk, doesn't trust the adult. Mm. It takes two or three times before we get an interaction. But that patience, that consistency, and that openness and curiosity is the first step towards changing. Mm. That's beautiful. You know, it's, it's, very, it's very beautiful. Um, I've done a lot of hard work in, in, in that realm um, throughout my life and probably more in my 30s than any time. But so I'm very familiar with my inner child and having to write a story to my inner child to tell them how I feel and, and do it where it was a reverse dialogue where they had the inner mm. child had to write me back. Right. But wow. it's so funny. Many of us, I mean, we grow up with parents and 
for lack of better terms, we grew up in a dictatorship. Right. Mm -hmm. And not always, not always unhealthy. Some of them are healthy right. dictatorships where, you know, or they give you a little bit more freedom to make mistakes and not be punished for them. But a lot of times, mm -hmm. especially in um, more of the religions, religious homes, there, you know, you are grown up where it's there's there's black and white there's no gray and so like your dictator you had the pictures of every library book even in going into adulthood we open our books and mm. there's that dictator still there right. of even our parents. of our parents or whoever or whoever was yeah. in control wow. of our life oh my gosh yeah and so it's like it's like first of all they don't feed me anymore mm. they don't pay my bills anymore they're not doing anything but causing havoc in my life and, and, and creating obstacles mm -hmm. because every time I open a book, I see their face. Mm -hmm. And it's like, when does that stop? Mm -hmm. when, does, when do you stop giving power to the, the people that raised you in a dictatorship household? Yeah. And I'm not saying everybody was raised like that. I'm not saying we were raised like that. I'm just saying that I've seen this mm -hmm. where, where adults will continue to blame because they can't get past those, mm -hmm. those first pictures. Mm -hmm. Blame or obey. Or obey, even at 40 years old. <laughs> I don't know any other ideas than the ones my parents taught mm -hmm. me mm -hmm. because I never divorced them. Yeah, and it's okay to divorce them. It's mandatory. <laughs> if you're going to become your own person, yeah. the individual that you were born to be, not, not with their minds, but with your own mind, Part of individuation and growing up is allowing your parents not to be your parents anymore. Yeah. Mm. And talking about freedom. Mm -hmm. Wow, meeting your parents for the first time outside of that label and getting to know who is this human mm -hmm. behind the label of my mom. What does she like? <laughs> what does she think when she's not my mom? I free her from any responsibility towards me. She does not have to show up for me in any way anymore. I am enough my parent that I don't need two moms. Hmm. Now I can just be curious about her. That's so good. Mm -hmm. That's such, such good wisdom. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow, I love it. You guys have got me fired up. I, <laughs> well, I, I, honestly, I feel a bit like we're on sacred ground. I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like this is the kind of work that a lot of people desperately need, mm -hmm. but are terrified of, you know? Mm -hmm. so. So instead of living in and moving towards the fear of change, they stay in that dictatorship because that's all they know. Mm -hmm. And then blame. Because, you know, it's the same yeah. as what you grew up in in Romania, that it's easy to blame the dictator. You can't say it out loud, but you certainly can internalize it. Right. Um, and sadly, that's where a lot of people stay. Mm -hmm. They don't make that move like you did mm -hmm. to get out of there and come to a place of freedom so it, there's so much parallel. It's just, mm -hmm. it's really fascinating. Uh, what, what, I will what say you... this last thing yeah. on, on that, that even though you might not go to a therapist or a life coach, even though you might not be doing your spiritual work consciously, a lot of times we do it unconsciously. Mm -hmm. We dare to open a business and we sweat and we cry and we give our time to mm -hmm. something and purpose develops through us and we might not know it that mm -hmm. we are being made into a bigger person but we listened to that calling somehow mm -hmm. and we're being worked mm -hmm. so even if it's not conscious it's unconscious but it's happening 
Yeah. It doesn't always have to be there, you yeah. know, one way. And that's good to know mm -hmm. um, that it will happen with or without mm -hmm. us making an active choice of getting outside help. Um, but gosh, it sure does make it easier if you get outside help, right? <laughs> yeah. And faster. And faster. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, we'll post all your different links to all your different Thanks. things. But we unfortunately have to wrap this up. So we'll finish it like we finish all podcasts that we do. We have a list of 70 questions. And if you give Stace one number between 1 and 70, she'll ask you the question associated with it. And then me and give me a number and then we'll wrap it up. All right? Okay. So, what's Go your with number? 57. 57. If you had to write a mantra on a billboard for everyone to see, what would it be? Mm. Oh, that's good. That's good. Mm, that's a good one. <sighs> you are and you have everything you need. Hmm. I like that. I'm going to write that down. I, do. <laughs> <laughs> I know I do like that a lot. You are and you have everything you need. Yes. Hmm. Without Period. a doubt. Yes. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, number. Nine. Number nine. I'm going to ask you two questions because okay. one of them is, is not a part of the questions, but I want you to, to explain it to us. So the question is, what's a favorite childhood memory that you have? Okay. And then the second question is, will you explain your LLC name? Because I think that's beautiful. Okay. I chose it. <laughs> cool. All right. So I actually wrote a short story about this memory yesterday. So this is really? incredibly synchronistic. Wow. So I, my job as a child was to be a goat herder. A goat herder? A goat herder. Oh so. my gosh, I love goats. <laughs> I love that you love goats. Uh, look, that's Carol. <laughs> Carol the Wolf. <laughs> the namer. I don't meet many people who love goats. Oh my gosh, she is obsessed with goats. And lemurs. Those are my spirit animals. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so you were a goat herder as a child. And, and so I would get to take the two or three goats my grandparents have and meet the other kids who were goat herders in the village. And we would leave in the morning and roam the fields near the village barefoot in nature all day long and then come back. And it's, it's my favorite memory because there's something magical that happens when you're in nature for that long, that many days in a row. Hmm. There's a bond to the earth that happens, that changes you and reorients your cells and creates such a beautiful state of the parasympathetic system of, of, of your body that it's unforgettable. It's just, mm. there's a sense of rightness, of belonging, of fitting in, being in nature that, that I just smile every time thinking about that, that mm. I got to do that. That was my job. So you, you had to herd three goats. It, it, the number changed because uh -huh. some year, it depends on how many baby goats there would be that year. <laughs> but herding goats is like herding cats. I mean, they're, they're kind of, they're in their own little world, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, we would have little sticks, but because we did it every day, they knew the path. Oh, they, they would kind of line up mm. and they still try to eat your neighbor's bush or your neighbor's tree. And that's where you had to intervene. <laughs> but once we got to the fields... Uh, we just have to change the museum every, every two or three hours. Man, goats can clean up really quick. So mm. you don't want it to be bare. You yeah. just kind of want to leave a little bit. So we would have to, yeah. So that's that, the whole gourd, uh, herding part. Oh, just, my God. That's really cool. So my brother told us about a book that he read where the guy said every time he gets off an airplane, he goes to a grassy field 
or a beach, takes his shoes off and walks on it for 20 minutes. Oh, wow. And by doing that, mm -hmm. it alleviates him of jet lag. Yeah. Because it regrounds him to the yep. earth. And so you saying that made me think about that where we've tried that a couple of times. We didn't do it in China. We didn't do it in China. We should have. <laughs> we should have. We should have. Okay, so tell us a story about your LLC name. So my LLC name is Nanita. It's how you pronounce it, but it's spelled N-A-N-I-T-A. And mm -hmm. and when I was forming my business and was really all excited and nervous that I was going to be you know, responsible and everything... I wanted to re I wanted I thought about this and I was like, what do you want to remember now before you sign this document of creating your business? What would you like what do you think you want to tell your future business self? Mm. And the message was remember to have fun, remember to be playful, don't make this too serious, don't mm. be so scared of this. Just enjoy. And so I was like, how am I going to name my LLC to remember this? So every time I write a check or I write a contract, I'm going to remember this. So I used my nickname when I, when you would ask me what my name is when I was little, I couldn't say Diana. So I would say Nana. Mm -hmm. So my parents would call me Nanita, which is little Nana. Mm. And so that was, that's my LLC name, little Nana. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love that so much. And that it's just a memorial remembrance for you yes. yeah. to not lose that inner child. Yes, and every time I see it, I'm like, I honored that intention. Mm -hmm. I still remember to have fun, so this is good. This thank you, is, little inner child. Yes, you know, Nanita awesome. is my inner child. Oh, Diana, thank you so much. What a pleasure meeting thank you. Thank you as well, um, Andrea. Of course, you were right again. We, it's what a what a great honor to sit in your presence for thank an hour you, and just Andrea. hear you talk. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> listeners. Thank you as always for hitting play on us this week. We don't really know who you are, and that's okay. We believe that if you hit play on us, then you're supposed to hear the message that is this week. And so hopefully Diana or Nanita's message came across loud and clear to you mm. that your inner child is somebody to pay attention to. Mm. Um, and to there, there are probably things that she or he wants to say to you that, that you haven't given them the space to say. So without getting too deep on you, I think you know what we're talking about as you listen. And so we hope that you open up the space for that. And we hope you go and make it an awesome week. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.